We're in the middle of a relationship series. Um, you can see here, it's called Reimagining Relationships. Faith, hope, and love is what we're talking about. Last week we talked about faith. Uh, this week we're talking about hope. And what this series is, is it's, it's really just a Relationships 101 series. So, um, you know, we've talked about sex in the past. We've talked about uh, dating, other, other specifics, marriage, other things about relationships. But today, uh, or the, throughout this whole series, we're just giving you guys a foundation for relationships in general. So friends, um, co-workers, dating, uh, married, like any, any relationship, you should be able to take these, these things and put them into any relationship, these principles and put them in any, into any relationship. So... Um, yeah, that's what we're talking about today. This week, actually, Missy and I, uh, we spoke at Power to Change, which is a, um, it's a Christian university college group organization that meets on university campuses. And so uh, we spoke at this, this uh, chapter of it at York University. Anybody here go to York? Yeah, 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 okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I see someone else in here who does who didn't raise their hand, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so we were at York University, and I've never been to the... To, I've been to the Glendon campus because I've met Michael there before, um, which is, if you haven't been to the Glendon campus, it's like, is it an old mansion or something? It's like a beautiful campus. Um, the York one up here isn't as beautiful, the one, like, north, uh, but it's massive. I didn't realize they are like, Someone told me 55,000, someone told me 65,000 students are at York. Like, that's crazy. So we walked in this retail section. Like, there's a whole mall in there. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sweet. So we spoke there on love, dating, and relationships, I think, was, was the title of, of what they want us to talk about. And what they did was they set up the time by, by um, giving... Uh, they send out an anonymous Google Doc to all of their students uh, in the Power to Change and said, you guys just write any question you want on here. And so what they wanted us to do originally was come in and speak for like 30 minutes and then answer questions. But she sent me the list of questions and I was like, man, let's just talk about these. Like, why am I going to talk for 30 minutes on, on something they don't care about when this is what they're asking? So we just rolled up there, went through the list of questions, and it was just a phenomenal time uh, we had with them. So I want to show you the questions they asked. So these are the questions that, that they wanted us to talk about. I'm just going to roll through them real quick. How do you know if someone is the one? Anyone asked that question before? How do you know if someone is the one? Um, I'm not going to deal with all these questions, but I, <laughs> but I will say, sorry, there's some crazies in there. There's some people right here. Uh, so um, I'm not going to deal with all these questions, but I don't know if there is a one. I will say that. And then I'm going to move on. So um, if you want to talk about that later, you, you can come and ask me. So what if you had a past with sexual sin? Does it mean it'll be harder to find a relationship or to have a healthy future one? Wow, like, what a legit question, especially in our city, in our day and age, right? Um, because 
most of the couples I deal with, most of the people I deal with, have had a past in sexual sin. And these are Christians asking these, these questions, okay? Um, some, or it's actually a mix. Powder change is a mix of, of Christian and non-Christian that were there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I deal with that, that question with Christians, with people who say they're followers of Christ, and people who say that they're not. And so that's, that's, a, that's a big question. Okay, third, is it okay as a Christian to like a guy for more than a year, even when you've prayed about it and you're not sure what God's saying? So all she's asking is about, like, hearing God. Like, I've been with this guy for a year, and I don't know if God's telling me to move forward or not. I told her to cut it off. So <laughs> I was like, hey, if it's not going anywhere, stop wasting your time. Why can't I date a non-Christian? Um, that's, that's a legit question because guess what, guys? You guys know this. Dating in our city is hard. And if you're a Christian, it's even harder. And why is that? Because there aren't a whole lot of other Christians in our city, right? And so she's, or he, is asking the question, gosh, what's the big deal? Why can't I just date a non-Christian? Okay? And that's the question out of frustration. Uh, that question is, is, if you're asking that question, stop. Like that's, if you're a Christian and you're asking that question, stop asking that question. That's phrased the wrong way. Because um, the reality is you shouldn't even want that if you're a Christian. So uh, is it okay to start dating in university? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it wrong? We, and then we talked about dating and we talked about the purpose of dating and, and things like that. Um, is it wrong to be with a guy who is less spiritually mature than you? Um, are there any practical tips on embracing your singleness and not feeling so lonely? Wow, that's an amazing question from someone who's in university. They're already struggling with embracing singleness and not feeling so lonely. This is what I said. Um, uh, this is one part of what I said. I said, you know, we always tell, tell singles, like, you guys need to embrace your singleness. Uh, but to you, singleness is like a cactus. And we're saying, yeah, just hug it out with that cactus. And it's like, why would you tell someone to embrace something that they don't want to embrace? And so I don't think it's about embracing your singleness at all. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, and loneliness isn't uh, synonymous with singleness. And if you're feeling lonely, if you're single and you're lonely, you're going to be lonely if you're married. Loneliness and singleness are not equated there. And so loneliness is a totally different heart issue, okay? Singleness is just your relationship status. Um, what physical emotional boundaries should be drawn when starting to date someone? Great question. That's obviously coming from a Christian. How, how do we go about doing so? I hate the word boundaries. I would actually not even, I would actually say boundaries are... Let's, let's take those out of, out of the equation. Um, this is what, what I told them. I said, picture the heart of God in the middle here, and you put a boundary, a circle around the heart of God. <clears throat> okay? And so the whole time, you're trying to get to that boundary. That's what we do. When we set a, brown, a boundary, let's say, let's say you're dating, and your boundary is, I will, um, uh, we, can, we can make out. Uh, I can make out with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, they still call it that, right? Uh, I can make out with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and that's it. Well, you're going to get to that line, and when you push towards that boundary line, what are you going away from? The heart, the heart of God here. 
So whatever that boundary line is, you keep on pushing towards and you want to get as close to it as possible because you know that's the limit you can go without like um, hurting your conscience. Um, But let's take off the boundary and let's just go into the heart of God. And what happens is boundaries don't become an issue, okay? Because you're going into God's heart instead of going away from it, okay? I wish I had drawn that for you guys so you could see it. Hopefully you visualize that. Because um, it's a tremendous truth in your relationships that, that you should, that you should um, adopt. So where were we? What if your boyfriend slash girlfriend are Christian but crossed the line when it came to physical boundaries? Is the relationship doomed? Yes. Moving on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, so we talked about that with him as well. Great question because, again, um, we're, we're physical beings and stuff happens. Um, I used to be, I mean, Missy and I used to date and she couldn't keep her hands off of me. So <laughs> I totally understand, totally understand the predicament here. Um, <laughs> and it hasn't changed. <laughs> if, <laughs> if God created us to be people who crave, who crave physical intimacy and he created sex to be enjoyed by married couples, why is it that his plan for some people doesn't include marriage? It seems unfair to me. That's a practical, realistic question from someone's situation. Problem is, there's so much philosophical and theological um, backing into this, and like God's plan for your life, and how does, what is God's will for my life, um, that the question is actually way off base <laughs> um, because of all the philosophical stuff you say about God having a plan, a specific plan, things like that. We won't get into all that, but it's a fair question because that's his or her reality right now. It just seems unfair. And um, as, a, as, a, um, like, as a theologian, I would say, ah, that's the wrong question. As a pastor, I would say, let's talk about this and let's talk about your situation. Um, so those are all the questions we dealt with. And we just rattled through them and we had an awesome time uh, with these uh, university students. Um, and so, but the thing is, as I, as I went through those, I was like, man, these are the questions that I asked. These are the questions that everyone's still asking. Like, it's not, these aren't specific to university. Um, you know, you're asking these questions now, and you're 40. You're asking these questions now, and you're in your 30s. Um, you know, you're asking these questions now, and you're a teenager. Like, the, these questions span age. So, <coughs> this morning, um, and what I wanted, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Again, if you're listening online, I apologize. <laughs> I just coughed into your earbuds uh, a few times. So, uh, what we're going to deal with this morning is hope, because the reality of all these questions is if you don't have hope uh, then like I can give you any answer here and it's not going to really sit well with you and so this morning um, I want you to have an open heart an open mind open ears because you are in a relationship whether you're dating whether you have friends whether you have family you're in relationships we're built for relationships right well, that's, that's what we are. We're all relational people and beings. And so God made you for that. He made you for relationships, all right? He made you to interact with, with people. But God made you for, one, 
specific relationship above all other relationships. And this isn't with your spouse. This is with Jesus. Okay? This is with Jesus. This is with the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. This is with God himself. And God made you for an eternal purpose and a relationship that spans all eternity. And if you're a Christian in here this morning, that should excite you. If you don't quite believe that, um, that should make you go, huh, that's interesting. Um, I kind of maybe want to hear a little bit more about that. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And again, we're going to focus in on hope. Now, hope is something that when we talk about hope in our culture and in our society, it's totally different from how the Bible talks about hope. Okay? When we talk about hope today, I would say, oh, I hope it doesn't snow again this winter. I don't want to shovel my driveway. I hope it doesn't rain today. It's a doubtful uncertainty. Oh, I hope I make it on time. Or I hope, um, you know, I pass this test. Uh, you're like, uh, I don't know if I am, but I hope I do. Um, and we use it in a, a sort of wishful thinking type way. And so it's, it's based on not certainty, it's based on uncertainty. It's based on the best that we can do. The Bible, though, bases hope on certainty because hope is founded in Jesus and what he's already accomplished and what he's already done. And so when we say our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, when we say our hope is founded on Jesus, we can say that with full confidence because he's actually already completed it. Okay? And so that's the type of hope we're going to talk about this morning. A hope that is sure, a hope that is not doubtful, that, that we know that it is going to happen. Okay? Do you want that type of hope in your relationships this morning? And that's the type of hope I want you to have in your relationships. That you know that if it's founded on Jesus, then this is going to happen. Okay? So we're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to give you five principles in relationships to go by according to hope, okay? So this passage opens up, and before, yeah, so this is right before Jesus is born, right at the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus, or right after Jesus is born, Jesus is born, and he's going to the temple, and this is the scene in the temple before Jesus gets there. Jesus is going to get dedicated to the temple eight days later, and this is a scene like I said, before Jesus gets there. And there's a guy named Simeon, and there's a lady named, named uh, Anna there. And we're going to talk about Anna this morning. And the Bible begins by saying she was a prophetess. Uh, she's of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. So she was, that's just the Bible's euphemistic way of saying she's really, really, really old. <laughs> she's having lived with her husband for seven years when she was a virgin, and then, as a widow, until she was 84. So she's been living a long, long time single, without a husband. She had a, she had a husband for like a blink of an eye. And then, now she's lived the rest of her life single. And we're going to see how, how she does that. And so, this morning... Um, you know, you're going to hear what I'm talking about through your situation, okay? So if you're single this morning, you'll hear it through that lens. If you're married, you'll hear it through that. Um, you know, if you're dating, you'll probably hear it through that. Um, 
But uh, I may, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I may or may not be talking more to singles. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Because Anna here is, is that. She's single. So, um, all right. So let's do, let's do number one. So number one is this. <clears throat> Immerse yourself in community. Okay? We had that question from, from the York University students that said, how do I embrace my singleness? Uh, you know, I'm feeling so lonely. Um, the number one piece of advice we gave them was to immerse yourself in community. Listen, you were built for the body of Christ. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, that's what God made you for. He made you for a corporate relationship. Now, everyone points to Genesis 2, I believe it's verse 18, where uh, Adam is in the garden and Adam is there and... Um, and he's by himself, and he's naming all the animals, and he can't find a helper suitable for him, the Bible says. And God says, it's not good that man should be alone, and he makes a woman. And everyone looks at that and says, oh, well, that's, that's marriage. That means everyone needs to be married. No, that means, that all that verse is, is saying that everyone needs to be in community, okay? This isn't like a, a like, uh, marriage verse that if you aren't married, then it's not good for you to be alone. This is a community verse, okay? And when, when we see Anna here, it says that she did not depart from the temple. She spent those 84, whatever, 80-something years uh, in the temple, in the community, surrounded by other believers, and she said, I'm going to immerse myself into this. Now, Jesus, uh, or the Bible here, isn't talking about your family. You know, that's not community. That's not the type of community it's talking about. It's not talking about your friends. It's not talking about your marriage. It's talking about the community of believers, okay? When Jesus comes, he, he redefines family relationships, friend relationships. There's this one scene in the Gospels where he's sitting in this house. The house is packed out. And there's people all outside. Someone comes to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, your mom and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And he looks around and he's like, No, um, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. This is my family. He says, Those who hear the voice of God and obey it, that's my family. And he redefines what community is, what family is. And he takes it from out of like our, the, our family nucleus or whatever you consider your, your family. And he puts it in the context of the community of believers. And he says, those who hear, trust, and obey, that's my family. We're, we're family. I mean, other, 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 um, other parts in the gospel is Jesus says, Things like, if you, don't, if you don't hate your mother, your brother, your, he, and he lists all these family members, um, and follow me, then you're not worthy of me. And he says, your love, is basically saying like, your love and your devotion, your dedication to the cross of Christ, to Jesus Christ, has to so overshadow your, your earthly relationships to where it looks like that. Okay? And he starts to redefine what it looks like for relationships to happen in the community of faith. So in saying that, um, that means that if Trinity Life is your church, if this is your community of faith, then these are your relationships. 
These are your primary relationships. How many of you guys can say that? But that's what Jesus says. This is your, this local body of believers, you know, people who hear, trust, and obey, like those are your primary relationships in the context of, of the community of faith. Okay? Um, now, that doesn't mean that we become like this insular, like, okay, it's just us. No. That means we want a big family. Like, we want to bring people who aren't in our family into our family because we want other people to hear, trust, and obey the voice of Jesus because that's the life that Jesus came to give, not just us, but everybody, right? Um, this is random, but we did a video. Gable was with my, our family yesterday, and we did a video with the girls. I have to show it to you guys. Um, it came out awesome, right? Like, uh, I was really impressed. It's all the girls. It's my five-year-old and four-year-old. And, um, you know, and they just talked about what, what we've done here as a family, why, why we moved here, well, what we started here, uh, and things like that. And they said things like, uh, Emerson said, well, we moved here because God told us to. Like, that's simple. I've never told her that. I, she, just, she just said that. Um, that's simple. And, and you're like, well, why did God tell us to? Well, to tell other people about Jesus. I'm like, oh, my gosh. My five-year-old is an evangelist. <laughs> she's she's uh, amazing. Like, and I was like, what, what's, the, what's your favorite thing about Toronto? She's like... Um, uh, I love that we get to meet all kinds of different types of people. She's like, it's like the whole wide world is here. Um, and like she's five and she can recognize those things. Um, and so just at five, like her family is us, but her family is the community. She says something at the end that um, we moved here to start, at a church, to, to start a church and then we started to meet all kinds of new people, and then Jesus began to build his church. And it's so awesome. So um, to her, this is her family. This is her community. So, um, so Anna's in the temple. So she says she did not depart from the temple, and she was worshiping. So let's go to the second one. Immerse yourself in community. Number two, pursue a lifestyle of contentment. So, so Anna's in this perpetual state of worshiping. Like she is looking to God. She's looking forward. She's not saying, man, my situation right now sucks. My husband died. Nobody else wants me. And, and guess what? Like, in her, in this society, her being a widow was, like, she's down here, guys. Like, she's widowed. Like, she's the... This is why James says, in the book of James, he says, true religion is this, take care of those who uh, are oppressed and who are widows, the poor, the oppressed, widows. Uh, because the, nobody, nobody wanted to be a widow, obviously, but nobody even wanted to be around them. They're like way down here. And so um, for her situation, her situation was just dire. Um, it wasn't a good situation. She had every reason to not be content. She had every reason to just be depressed. She had every reason to just not care, just be apathetic or, or not even care. But instead, what is she doing? She's worshiping. She's looking to God. She's not, she's not looking at herself and saying, oh man, this situation is horrible. She's looking up to her father and saying, and just worshiping, worshiping him and praising his name. 
And that's a lifestyle of contentment, okay? Um, contentment is going back to that question that the York students asked about embracing singleness and not feeling lonely. Contentment is the opposite of loneliness. Marriage isn't the opposite of loneliness. Okay, I know many married people who are lonely in their marriage, and it's actually worse than being lonely uh, as a single um, because now you're like, well, I won't go into it, but um, they're just lonely because... Uh, it's not a state, it's not about your relationship status. It's a state of your heart. And contentment is the opposite of that. And so when the Apostle Paul in Philippians talks about contentment, and he's like, he says, <laughs> this is an off, misquoted scripture, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're like, yeah, I can punch through that wall. Or, yeah, I can do everything. Um, actually, this is in the context of contentment. And so when Paul says that, he's actually in prison writing to encourage other people. And when we say prison, he's not in a Western prison where he gets three meals a day on cable TV. He's in a hole in the ground with like rodents and it's probably wet in there and moldy. Who knows what else? And he's freezing cold and he has nothing to eat. And he's writing to encourage the Philippian church. And we're going to go into Philippians in a couple weeks. We're just talking about joy. And he's expressing all this joy. Philippians is a book of joy. And Paul's writing it from prison. Um, And this whole context of him saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is in the context of contentment. And him being content in his situation. And so pursuing a lifestyle of contentment means that we're pursuing Jesus. We're pursuing the Father. We're focused on, on Him and not on our present situation, okay? And that's hard, right? That's hard. I know it's hard because circumstances dictate our attitude. Circumstances dictate our mental state. They dictate our emotions many times. I mean, uh, you know, somebody does something to you and all of a sudden you're angry, Somebody does something and all of a sudden you're jealous or upset um, or happy. Like, uh, circumstances just dictate a lot of what we do. But contentment is saying, rise above your circumstances and focus on God, focus on Jesus. And that, uh, you know, the Bible is all about focusing your mind and it's all about the life of the mind on Jesus. And so, pursue a lifestyle of contentment. All right, let's, let's go to three. Um, so it says here that she was 84. She did not depart from the temple. She was worshiping with fasting, okay? Um, so take bold steps of spiritual risk, okay? Each word in there is actually really key um, because you could take bold steps of risk, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, we're talking about bold steps of spiritual risk, okay? This is... Uh, this is what I was really trying to tell the York students on, on Thursday. Um, I sensed a lot of like, uh, what do you call that? Kind of, I don't think unsurety is a word, but that's what I mean. <laughs> They're just unsure of a situation. Should I do this? Should I do this? Life in general is a series of bold steps of spiritual risk. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what it is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you're just, uh, the Bible says you're walking blindly. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you say, I want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do this. You have to take bold steps of spiritual risk. And this is, 
going to be in relationships. Um, this is uh, going to look different. And like I said, you're going to hear this through the lens of what, whatever s- r- state of relationship you're in right now. But um, that's going to, so it's going to look different, but it, it relies on hearing God, trusting God, and obeying God. Here at Trinity Life, that's how we define discipleship. We define it as hearing the voice of God and learning how to recognize and, and act on that. This is straight out of John 10. Um, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice, they obey my voice. And, and so, hear, trust, and obey. This is, you know, one of the students asked Thursday night um, about hearing God. Uh, and you might be in this situation, like, I've, I've been trying to do this. I've been in this, in this situation, and um, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should move forward, if I should cut it off, if I should go a different direction, if I, I just don't know what to do. Um, God is speaking to you, okay? You just might not be listening. But God is speaking to you in your situation, you just have to be open to the answer he wants to give you. Okay. A lot of times when we pray to God and we try to hear God's voice, we try to hear a specific answer. And we say, well, God's not answering my prayers. Well, he's answering your prayers. He's just not answering them in the way that you want them to be answered. So you need to open yourself up to do that. And that's when you can actually take bold steps of spiritual risk. And let me tell you, um, a lot of us want God to tell us specifically exactly what to do next. But do you really want that? Do you like anybody telling you exactly what to do next? I don't. Especially if I know what to do already and someone tells me to do that thing. I'm like, thanks, Mom. Um, But nobody really wants that. So why do we expect that of God? Okay? God's given you so many indicators Okay, this is a huge passage. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's this picture of um, you're lighting up my path, the light's kind of going dim, but really it's just a step-by-step daily walk. You're a lamp unto my feet. Okay? I always quote that passage in King James Version. I don't know why. (laughs) That's how I learned it. Uh, We don't actually say unto anymore. Um, If you're new to church, like, I don't actually talk like that. So, (laughs) I think it's because Dane's here. That's why I quoted King James. So, um, take bold steps of spiritual risk. You're going to have to do that without knowing exactly what God is telling you to do. Okay? That's what a bold step is. Now, if God completely laid it out for you, it would just be a step with no risk. Okay? But if you're trying to listen to God and he's saying, maybe this is the direction, that's going to take a bold step of spiritual risk, and God will honor that. All right, let's go, to, let's go to four. This is coming off of, so she's fasting, she's worshiping, and she's praying. This is huge. Start praying for God and not for you. Okay? Don't raise your hand, but just think about that. If you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, how much of your prayer life is focused on you? What does it mean to focus your prayer life on God? That sounds weird, doesn't it? <clears throat> so, when Missy and I met, 
we were in university. Um, you guys know the story. Uh, I shared a little bit of it last week. I walked into a room and saw her for the first time in my life, and immediately she was like in love with me. Um, that's not exactly how she remembers it, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly like that. So, um, but yeah, I walked in, I saw her. Uh, we actually went out that night. Um, it's actually just like uh, Call Me Maybe, because back then you asked for digits, you asked for a phone number, and she's like, well, here's my number. This is crazy, I just met you. <laughs> call me maybe, and she didn't know I was gonna, she actually wasn't sure I was gonna call her. Um, and I called her that night. I know that's probably a desperate move, <laughs> but I had nothing to do. So, and I really liked her. I took a bold move of spiritual risk. I don't care what it looked like. So I called her, we went out, and that night, and I was a strong believer at this point in my life, I found out she was not a believer, okay, that night. And I was like, man, I really thought God had told me to go talk to her. Um, so I've been praying and praying. And I felt like when I saw her in this room by herself like this or with five other people um, in the room, um, I kind of looked and I felt God say, yeah, go talk to her. And I, I sat down right next to her and we started talking. And it was awesome. We really hit it off, spent that whole afternoon together in business school orientation. And I thought, wow, God, like, this is awesome. And then I found out, wait, she's not a believer. And then that question popped up uh, that the York student asked. Why can't I date a non-Christian? Um, but I knew why. I'd, I'd, been, I'd already done it. I'd been doing it. And I knew that I shouldn't uh, uh, because our lives would never go together. They're always going to go opposite directions. And so um, I prayed for Missy's soul and for her to become a believer so much, more than I'd prayed for anybody else. Um, I, I just started praying for her. And this is all in the span of two months. And, uh, I mean, I would weep over her and just, just pray for her. And nothing happened. Like, uh, I, would, I shared the gospel with her one night. I, I like to say I like, threw the gospel up on her. So I was like, hey, guess what? You're a sinner. <laughs> Did you know that? And you need Jesus. Do you want to get saved? She was like, mm, no. Uh, and she'd never heard about Jesus before. Like, and I was totally naive and foolish. I would never <laughs> share the gospel like that uh, today. So, um, and then I had invited her to church, and she would just reject me. It was like the whole month and a half or so of relationship was just rejection, rejection, rejection. Um, but she still liked me. <laughs> she's, I don't, uh, she's still, there was just, if you hear her share it, there's just something, she's like, gosh, this guy's different. Um, like, what's, <laughs> yeah, different is good. Uh, she's like, there's something about him. And I'm like, it's Jesus. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and so something kept her uh, along. And so I had realized, though, at one point that I was, was not doing this. That the whole time I've been praying for her, I've been praying that I would be in a relationship with her. I'm praying like she gets saved, she becomes a believer, so that I could date her. 
Like, yeah, fairy tale, right? That'd be awesome. Um, and God, as I was praying one night, God was like, stop praying for you and start praying for me. And I realized I've been praying for me to have a relationship with her and not for God to have a relationship with her as his father and her as his daughter. And that's when the switch happened for me. And that's when, and I I was reading Genesis 22 that night, and uh, this is the passage where Abraham goes to sacrifice his son Isaac. And um, he's not just sacrificing his son. He's sacrificing a promise. He's sacrificing land and seed and blessing. He's sacrificing Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. And he's like, God, how can you ask me to do this? But I know I need to be faithful. I know I need to do it. But I'm sacrificing everything that you've promised me. And God said, that's what you need to do. He's like, you think I promised you something. You need to put your hands out like this and sacrifice it. And so... um, that's when I had, like, the heart-to-heart with Missing. was like, um, my, my life is going this way. You're not going that direction. Like, Jesus, I don't think you understand. Jesus, I don't just go to church on Sunday. Like, Jesus is my life. He's, I look through, I see everything through the lens of Christ. It's not just some, some, something I do on Sundays and just talk about randomly. Uh, my life is patterned around Jesus. And she was, it was hard for her to understand that. But through that and a series of other things that I won't get into, the Spirit grabbed her heart. Through reading the scriptures, the Spirit grabbed her heart. And as I started to pray for God to just have this relationship with her, that's when things started to change. So in your relationships, whatever status it is right now, are you doing this? Are you praying for God and not for you? So this is what it looks like. If you're single and you want to be married, this is what it looks like. God, give me a spouse that will honor you, that will draw me closer to you, that I can draw him or her closer to you, and that we can serve you together. That's what, <coughs> that's what a Christian marriage is. That's what a Christian marriage looks like. It does not look like, God, give me a spouse because I'm lonely. Because your loneliness has nothing to do with a spouse. Because Jesus is your everything if you're a Christian. The Bible says your life is hidden in Christ. He is your life. If he's not your life, then you might not be a Christian. Because the Bible says he is your life. Okay? So start praying for God and not for you. All right, last thing. We see Anna. She's fasting, praying, and it says she's doing this night and day. She's not stopping. She just does this over and over and over. Don't ever lose hope in God. Persevere. Don't ever lose hope in God. Whatever your status is, wherever, wherever you are in relationships, don't ever lose hope in who God is and in his character. See, hope isn't based on um, what God does for you. Have to believe that good because that's what he says he is. You have to believe that he is love because that's what he says he is. You have to believe that he wants the best for you and your life because that's what he says he wants. 
You have to believe that Jesus came to give you the abundant life. Now, when Jesus says, I came to give you life, he doesn't say, I came to give you life in a mediocre one. He doesn't say, I came to give you life in a lonely one. He says, I came to give you life and life lived to the fullest. And so what he says is, I came to give you a different quality of life. And that's what attracted Missy. That's what kept her around me. She saw a different quality of life being lived, a life that followed Jesus. And so as a Christian, if you're a Christian in here this morning, that's what you have going for you. That's the best thing you have going for you, a life that's fully uh, following Jesus Christ because your hope is built on him. Okay, if you're not a Christian in here this morning, that's what Jesus has to offer you. That's what he wants for you. He wants to give you a different quality of life. He wants to give you a life that is founded on this ever-present, never-failing person and relationship in your life. Because remember when I started off, I said, you were built for one primary relationship. And that's a relationship with the eternal one of the, of the universe, Father, through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian this morning, whatever your circumstances, like I, this is, I'm going to say this again for, at, the, at the expense of sounding like a, a broken record, but you just have to believe this, that Jesus is your everything. And that the more you press into Jesus, the more you don't lose hope in who Jesus is, the more your circumstances will change. Because they won't be affecting you like they shouldn't be. It says here that, um, verse 38, that Anna's been doing this. And at coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She sees her redemption at that very hour. And in God's providence, God's providential timing and planning that you need to trust in in your life, at that very hour, she began to give thanks. And she saw the redemption of Israel, of the world, come into the temple in Jesus Christ. When's the last time you gave thanks for your situation? When's the last time you noticed that God was redeeming something in your life? And we tend to always complain about our situations or talk poorly about this or our job or, or these things. Um, but when's the last time you just looked around and gave thanks? Remember, Anna's in a horrible situation. And you know how long she waited? 84 stinking years. 84 years she waited for this one moment. Like for all we know, we don't see her anywhere else in the Bible after this. For all, all we know, she died after that. Because all her life was waiting for this one moment. For this one beautiful moment in history that God showed her how to give thanks for, and then he showed her redemption. And so as you start praying for God and not for you, start praying towards redemption with a grateful heart. Start praying that God 
would show you how he's redeeming your situation, how he's redeeming your singleness. How about instead of embracing your singleness, you say, hey, God, redeem my singleness. How about instead of embracing your marriage, say, hey, God, why don't you redeem my marriage? Show me what it looks like in the kingdom of God. How about instead of in your dating relationship, you start to say, God, what does it look like for you to redeem this for your purposes? What does it look like for you to redeem my relationship with my dad or my mom for your purposes? What does it look like for you to start redeeming my relationship with my coworkers for your purposes? And start giving thanks like Anna gave thanks, even if your situation is horrible. Because God will change your perspective and he'll begin to change your circumstances because he wants the best for you and he knows what's best for you. What you think is the best for you might not be the best for you. Trust in what God says is the best for you. He wants that for you.